So we're starting a new book, uh, the Gospel of John. If you want to turn there uh, with me right away, uh, we're doing In the Beginning. In the Beginning. Uh, gospel, we're doing the Gospel of John. Gospel means good news. And when I hear that, I, I look in the mirror and I go, am I good news? Uh, if, when you're sharing about Jesus Christ, are you good news? Uh, often, you know, the bad news comes first and then the good news looks even better, but it means good news. It means that God is good. Now, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels. It means to see together. They're very similar. This fourth Gospel is different. And it's, diff it's written by the one whom Jesus loved. John will find he was a son of thunder, he, was, he had issues, and he was blown out that Jesus Christ loved him consistently, eternally, and it changed his life. That's why I get so much hope from, from the, the Apostle John. I, uh, I can't relate to everything he went through, but I, I relate to the fact that, man, Jesus Christ loved him and changed his life. So here's his background. So we're not talking about John the Baptist now. We'll get to him in a minute. This is John the Apostle who wrote this book. He actually wrote five books. Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd Epistles of John, and Revelation. So some 50 chapters put together. Now he and his brother, James, were called the Sons of Thunder. Actually, it, it's a word that means rage. Uh, it goes back to 2nd Kings chapter 1 for you history buffs. Remember the prophet Elijah? There was a king named Ahaziah, and he had had enough with this prophet Elijah telling him what to do. And, and he goes, he sent a captain of his army. He said, take 50 of your soldiers. Go get that Elijah. I want to talk with him. So he, he goes out, this captain of the army and 50 guys, and they find Elijah on the side of a hill. He goes, hey, come on, come on down, man of God. I'm taking you to the king. Remember Elijah goes, oh, if I'm such a man of God, may fire come down out of heaven and consume you and your 50 men. <clears throat> Burnt offerings, just like that. Word gets back to the king. He goes, oh, yeah? I'm not backing down. I'm doubling up. I'll, I'll send another captain of another 50 men. And so here comes another 51 guys. And they go, hey, Elijah, man of God, come on down. We're going to take you to the king. If I'm such a man of God, may fire come out of heaven and consume you. Boom, crispy critters. Now, this was done in an area called Samaria. So it's northwestern part of Israel. That's important because they were in Samaria. So the third guy goes up. Another captain, 50 guys, 50 other soldiers. And he goes, evidently he was a family man. And he goes, <laughs> if you read into it, he goes, Elijah... I love my wife. I got kids. They're waiting for me with dinner. Could you come on down with me, please? And Elijah went down with him and went to the king. So now John, this is hundreds of years later, John is in Samaria, the same area. And they're having an attitude for Jesus. And John goes, hey, you know what? I read my Bible. I'm going to do what the Bible says in here in Samaria. God sends down fire and kills people. And so he turns to Jesus. Hey, you want me to call down fire like you do in the Bible? You know, I'm, I'm your boy. And remember, Jesus goes, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. 
He's not here to kill people. He's here to save people. But his, uh, that son of, Sons of Thunder was actually rage. They, they had such issues. So then he was a successful uh, fisherman because we read that he, his dad, he worked with his dad, but they had hired servants. Probably pretty successful. He also had connections. So in John's Gospel, when, when uh, Jesus was arrested, now, John never mentions his own name. He just says the disciple whom Jesus loved. He said, well, he went with you. He followed Jesus into the high court uh, of, the, the, um, of the court of the high priest. He goes in there because he's got a connection. He actually talks to the servants and says, hey, can my buddy Peter come in? And he gets Peter in there. He's not only kind of well off, but he's well connected. This is something else. He goes, he had a beginning with Jesus. See, this, in the beginning, I want you to think of your beginning with Jesus. So he had a beginning. You remember with Peter, he's casting nets, and Jesus goes, his beginning, Jesus said, hey, you're, you're fishing for fish? Come with me, I'll, I'll show you how to fish for souls, fish for people. Well, with John, he was mending nets. He wasn't casting them. And it turns out this guy becomes a mender of souls. He goes from being this radical, raging man, son of thunder, to this apostle of love is what he's called. He writes five books of the New Testament. He says the word love 81 times. That's how much he was transformed by Jesus Christ. He was uh, entrusted with Mary, remember at the cross? Jesus said, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. Most likely because he could afford to. There's another theory. We can't totally prove this scripturally, but if you compare scriptures with scriptures, we believe it's very possible that John was a cousin of Mary, uh, of Jesus. That Salome, John's mother, was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's interesting how that plays in scripture, but maybe uh, he was entrusted, uh, maybe he was his own cousin. Now, later on in life, the emperor Domitian said, I want that guy boiled in oil. Remember, all the apostles, were or six were crucified. They were all killed, except John. They tried to boil him in oil, and it's a, 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 a trial that had absolutely no effect on John. I like those kind of trials. You know, it's the old, you intended it for evil, God used it for good. That boiling in oil for John, it was like a, you know, a hot tub with a massage on top. It was in oil. So when that didn't work, they said, just throw him on that God-forsaken place called Patmos. You know, just leave him out there. Well, that's where he receives and writes the book of Revelation. Here's what's not known too often. He retired, if you will, from Patmos. And he came back to Asia Minor, back to churches like Ephesus, and there he was now about a hundred years old, and he's carried around by a cot. He's very old and feeble, and the people, they, he would come into a Bible study, and people would applause, well, would applaud, because, dude, this guy knew Jesus. Everybody, I mean, he's a hundred years old. Jesus was gone. All the apostles were dead. This guy walked with Jesus. And he would walk in and he'd clap. They'd applaud for him. And they would say, I read one account where this historian said, yeah, he'd come in and people would go, John, give us a heavy revy. 
You know, give us something meaty, you know. And, and all John would say, you know what he'd say? Children love one another. That's as heavy as John got. Captain Hothead, Mr. Rage, Mr. Son of Thunder, his whole message at the end, children, do you like being called child? I, I need to remember to approach him as a child. Love one another. That's as heavy as he got at the end. Okay, his gospel's different in that 90% of the content is unique. So it's not like, you know, remember the synoptics, they're all kind of very similar. This is 90% uh, unique. The other gospel's about what Jesus did. This is who Jesus is. Notice it's not who Jesus was. It's who he is. He's present tense. He shares the seven I am's. Ego imai in the Greek. Goes back to Moses at the burning bush. Remember this one? God appears to Moses in the burning bush. Go to Egypt, set my people free. Moses goes, who am I supposed to say sent me? Tell him ego imai. Tell him I am sent you. John chapter 8, Jesus said, you know, before Abraham was, the father of the faith, I am. He's claiming to be the I am. Then he has seven I am statements. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the, the gate for the sheep. So seven times, this is unique to John. And there's seven miracles that John talks about. In chapter 2, we'll get into turning water into wine. I think it's so cool. That the first miracle Jesus did, the first recorded miracle, was done to bless people at a wedding. I think it's so great. Uh, then we'll, we'll also cover raising Lazarus. This is unique to his gospel. So by John chapter 11, probably my favorite miracle other than the resurrection of Christ, where he goes, Lazarus, come forth. He called him by name. There's a time when Jesus calls you by name. Come forth. And he raises him from the dead. So, he also contrasts. He has these, yeah, he, he thinks like a Greek. He, he'll contrast light and darkness, even the kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness, life, death, belief and unbelief. Okay, here, here we go. His purpose for writing this gospel he states it at the end in chapter 20, in uh, 30 and 31. He says, truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, meaning he didn't go in some dark room and come out, oh, I did a trick. It was everybody saw it. They're not even written in this book. You remember it says that if everything Jesus did was recorded, all the books in the world couldn't contain it. But these things... These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He's right up front. He goes, I want you to believe in Christ. This is my purpose for writing. So new believers, this is the book for you. Old believers, you want to fall more in love with Christ? This is the book for you. Now, one more thing about this. My favorite. John says, I want you to know Jesus like I know all right, so in 1 John, now we're in the Gospel of John. This 1 John is the epistle, a letter of John, written later. In chapter 1, he opens up with those famous words, in the beginning. So that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, we've seen with our eyes, 
we've looked upon, we've gazed, we've studied, which we've looked upon and our, our hands handled. He goes, I hugged God, is what he's saying. I hugged Jesus, the word of life. He goes on to say, that which we've seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have koinonia. See our koinonia room across the street? It's called fellowship in the Greek. That you may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship with God the Father and with his son Jesus Christ. And then here's the deal. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. He's saying, I'm not talking to you about Jesus to curse you. I'm not here to bum you. I want you to have this fullness of joy. Again, I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. I believe one of the strongest ways to witness, one of the most convincing ways to witness is to tell someone, I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. You see, there are others who, if it were more truthful, they're, <laughs> they have just enough of Jesus to be miserable. Do you know anyone like that? Do you know what I mean? They know they should be living differently. They know Jesus is calling them, but they're not there. They're living in rebellion. So, oh, they have just enough of Jesus to be miserable. And for them to tell me, hey, you can have Jesus, like, I'm not interested. You're miserable. <laughs> Why would I follow that? But, but John say, no, I want you to know him the way I know him. Can you say that? Can you look back on your life this, this week and go, I want you to know Jesus like I knew him in that trial, like I knew him in that temptation, like I knew him in that mountaintop. I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. Ah, I left this in. I, uh, this is a song I wrote 40 plus years ago. I don't think I ever sang it. it. Must have been really bad. But it was about, you know, like leaving high school, leaving college. And what do you, what do you want to leave people with? It's about a nine-hour song. Here, I'll sing it. If I can hear it. Remember me only in him. For he washed away all the filth of my sin. And I can do nothing apart from him. Remember me only in him when you're thinking of me. Remember my Lord, for there is nothing that I would want more than to be so in love that I remind you of him. When thinking of me, remember Jesus, my Lord. If I put some twang in it, it could be a cowboy song. Just, uh, you're just clapping because it's over. I know you're not fooling anybody. All right, let's talk about logos. We're in John 1, verses 1 through 5. Long intro, not as long term. In the beginning was the word for you Greek guys. NRK, Inho, logos. And the word was with God. Kai theos in hologos, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. Isn't that a great statement? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So this is what he's getting at. Logos. Okay, you have to start somewhere, right? This is a big subject, God. So for Matthew, when he's writing his gospel, he starts with the genealogy. He's writing to Jews. And the Jews are saying, before you tell me anything, prove that Jesus had the right genealogy. Go all the way back to Adam. All right, so he does. Then Mark, he's writing to the Romans. It's much more fast-paced. You'll hear the word immediate a, a bunch. So it's like, catch your breath. And so he starts with John the Baptist baptizing Jesus Christ. Luke was different. He announces the birth of John the Baptist to Zacharias, his dad. Zacharias, you and Elizabeth, you're old. You're going to have a son. Then he announces the birth of Jesus to Mary, this virgin girl, who goes, what? 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 You, what? So John said, I'm going to go back to in the beginning. Not the beginning of time, but the beginning of creation. We'll get into that in a second. So you have to start somewhere. It's a really big subject. When you're talking about God, my theology professor in, in Bible college would always say, in theology, you're going to have more questions to your questions because God gets bigger. And you just, wait, I never saw that before. So in, in Psalm 90, I just think this is a great example. Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, you know, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. But in the original language, it means a lot more. What, what's everlasting? Well, you're looking in the past. Okay, you guys, you're, you're representing the past. And you're looking in the past, and you go, okay, 1865, the Civil War, and then 2,000 years ago, Jesus, and, you know, 6,000 years ago, and then what, a trillion years ago. And you go, wait, 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 my, I can't conceive. I, you lost me. That's your vanishing point. And you go beyond that, and there was God. But then you go, okay, now you're representing the future. And you go, okay, can you picture Jesus coming back? Can you picture the rapture? Can you picture the return? Can you picture that the end of the thousand-year millennium reign of Christ? Can you picture a trillion years? No, no, after a while it gets fuzzy. That's your vanishing point. If you go beyond that, God was still there. That's the idea of Psalm 90. So it's really from vanishing point past to vanishing point future, you're still there. You are God. So how do you describe it? How do you start with in the beginning? He said in the beginning was logos. Again, this is not the beginning of time. I mean, that's from vanishing point to vanishing point. This is the beginning of creation. And he says logos was there. Now the word logos means a couple things to different people. For the Hebrews, logos was the creative power of God. Logos was where God would speak into existence and create. Logos was God's, uh, his self-expression, meaning this is how God tells us about who God is. The logos, I'm interested. Greeks had a whole different idea. For the Greeks, the logos was this brings sense to my life. I just love that. One is so God and his creative power and ability to, to express himself to me and tell himself about me. But for the Greeks, it's like, oh, my, my life was a mess, but I turned to the logos, and it made sense of everything. 
My life begins to make sense because of the logos of God. So here's a few things about Jesus Christ in John chapter 1. First, he's eternal. In the beginning, in the vanishing point, beyond the vanishing point, Jesus was there. He was, so he's eternal. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Two things there. With God means there's a trinity. You go, well, that's trinity's not in the Bible. The word trinity. The word Bible isn't in the Bible. Rapture is not in the Bible. That doesn't mean the Bible doesn't teach on these things. So, Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image. It's a triune God, a trinity. To the Jews, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The word used there is compound unity. It, it shows that there's a trinity. Equal parts, three beings. We're not sure how that, we'll have to get up there to figure that out. But it means that Jesus is part of the trinity and he is God. He is deity. The word, the logos was God. Then it says everything was created through the logos. So that means he's now, Jesus is the creator. You read about this again in, in Colossians chapter 1, where it says all things were created through him, and notice, for him. You were created through Christ and for Christ. I think that's a great idea. Then it goes, uh, if we skip over to verse 14, we'll get there in a few minutes. The word became flesh and t dwelt or tabernacled amongst us. So now the logos is not only eternal, part of the Trinity. He's deity. He's the creator. He's Emmanuel. So he's the Savior. All of that in the opening statements. Okay, the Word was with God. It's not, this is just a little footnote, it's not that the Word was a God. Yeah, I bring that up because the Jehovah Witnesses have tricked, tripped up a lot of people saying there's this article A in there. There's no article A in the Greek. There's nothing. Remember it said, um, uh, Kai, Kai means and, theos, in ho logos. So, and God was the word. There's no A. That's the Greek. It's just, I mean, I'm sure I butchered that, and that's about the extent of my Greek. But there's no A. So, when the Jehovah Witnesses had this, they said, oh, they quoted a guy, Dr. Manti. Dr. Manti, oh, he's this Greek expert that proves that it says, in the beginning was a God. So Manti reads this, and he charges back saying, remove my name from your literature, and if you don't, I will take action to force you to remove my name because you have misinterpreted the Greek. There is no A. It's Jesus is God. It's very simple. Now, two ways, just another footnote, to identify a cult. They refuse to believe that Jesus is God. They'll put him lower. Say, oh, he's a God. Well, Isaiah 9, 6 says he's everlasting Father. When he says, I and the Father are one, the Jews picked up stones to kill him because they knew what he was saying. I'm equal with God the Father. So they'll deny him as, as God, and then they use additional books or literature. So the Watchtower... The Mormons use the Book of Mormon, stuff like that. Those are cults. 
They're not dealing with the real Christ. So let's now go to John the Baptist. Now we're in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. There was a man sent from God. I love that saying. I, wouldn't you want to be sent from God? There's a man sent from God whose name was John. Now this is not John the Apostle. This is John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, so he knows his mission. To bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light. So there's a false light, there's a phony light, pseudo light. But the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So this John the Baptist, what do we need to know about him? Well, he was sent from God. It means he had a, a ministry, he had a message. He knew what he's about. He, he knew, I'm here, sent from God for a purpose. Every ambassador, like you and I, we're here on purpose and with a purpose. We have a message from a king of a foreign land, okay? So he knew who he was and who he was, and he goes, no, 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 I'm just the messenger. I'm the one pointing to the light. I'm not the light. Elsewhere, he goes, you know what I am? I'm not the bridegroom. That's Jesus getting married to his bride, the church. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. See, again, he knows who he is. I, I just love hearing the bridegroom laugh of the love that the, the bride has come along, the church has come along. He goes, so I'm not the bridegroom. I'm not Jesus. Matter of fact, I feel very uncomfortable taking any credit for something that belongs only to the, the king of kings. He said, I, I'm just the, the friend. I'm the one pointing people to the king of kings. Now, You'd either love him or hate him. I mean, seriously. If he was here this morning, you might not feel comfortable. Just keeping it real. He might go, uh, dude, what are you doing in that sin? You're judging me. Yeah, I am. Answer me. What are you doing in that sin? You know, so for some people, they loved him because he said, listen, I'm here to tell you to make straight the path of the way uh, of the Lord. Just, he's coming. Get your heart ready. And people would say, thank you so much for loving me enough to tell me the truth, for loving me enough to point me to Jesus Christ, to say I'm not living the way I'm supposed to, to tell me to repent. Others hated his guts. The Pharisees showed up. <laughs> All their garb, they're all fancy. And he goes, hey, you bunch of snakes. Actually, it was worse. You brood of vipers. You bunch of poisonous snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Meaning God's wrath is coming on this earth. Who told you about it? Who warned you to get right? And so they, man, I don't like this guy. Let's, let's get him out of here. You remember how he died, right? He told people they were in sexual sin. He said, it's not right for you to live like that. And it cost him his head. So you either loved him or, or hated him. But Jesus loved him. He, his message was simple. Prepare the way of the Lord. So then we get into this reject or receive Jesus. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, meaning Jesus, and the world didn't know him. He came to his own, 
And his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That should be mind-boggling. You know, in the Psalms, they'd put a little Selah after that. Stop and think about it. You believe in, you receive him, your child of the king. To those who believe in his name, who were born. Now, here's a tricky one. Verse 13. They're born, not of blood. That's how you're born the first time. This born again. Not of the will of the flesh, not because I determined I'm going to follow Jesus. Nor the will of man. It wasn't my mom and dad said, you're following Jesus. But the will of God. That verse has tripped up a lot of people for a long time. Okay, so we're talking about either rejecting Christ or, or receiving Christ. Uh, he came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. They didn't know him. Imagine being a dad, going to Afghanistan for nine months, you know, serving a tour of duty, and you come back and your family go, who are you? We don't know you. And you go, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I created you. I'm your dad. We don't know you. Well, if you were to multiply that like a ton of times, Jesus created, all things were created through him and for him, and he comes to his own, and they go, oh, I don't know him. I don't know him at all. Then it goes, they believed uh, in Jesus, that, that he did his miracles by Beelzebub. He was a, uh, a leader, a ruler of demons. So now we're in, in Matthew chapter 12. And there's a delegation of Jews sent to check out Jesus. Hey, we keep hearing he's doing miracles that only the Messiah could do. Go down there, verify, are these really legit miracles? Was it smoke and mirrors or did he really do this? He's about, you cannot afford to be wrong. I don't want to submit to a false Messiah. I've got to know if it's a real Jesus, but I really don't want to bow to this guy. So the delegation goes down, checks out, yeah, you know what? The miracles are legit. He's full on doing it. He's changing lives. He's healing people. He's raising the dead. It's crazy. But we still don't want to bow to him. So what are you going to do? How do you explain the miracles? He did the miracles, but it wasn't by the Holy Spirit. It was by the power of demons. And when Jesus hears this, he goes, be careful. See, every offense, every sin you do will be forgiven you, except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. When God continually shows you irrefutable proof, Jesus is the Messiah, when the Holy Spirit points, this is the one who will forgive you of sins, this is the one who will give you newness of life, he'll lead you to heaven, and all you do is say, no, that's the devil, that's the devil, and discredit the Holy Spirit, that's blasphemy of the Spirit, and that's not forgivable. So the Jews, he came, they checked him out. He even said, you search the Scriptures, we'll get to this in chapter 5. You search the Scriptures, in them you think they have, you have life, but they testify of me. You won't come to me. So it was clear he was the Son of God. Now it says, born not of the will of the flesh, but God. Okay, this, this goes into this whole debate 
the sovereignty of God in salvation? Is he responsible or responsible of responsibility of man? Am I responsible? Who, and you're battling between the two. So, well, here's the deal. Your salvation, your forgiveness, your becoming a child of God is both a miracle and the mystery. It's a miracle because anybody who gets forgiven by a holy, holy, holy God, that's a miracle. But it's a mystery because <laughs> how does it work? How is it? Like Ephesians says this. Let's, let's couple scriptures with scriptures. Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you, meaning you and me, he made alive. You were dead. He made you alive who were dead in your trespasses and sin. People who are dead don't choose to follow Jesus. You're dead. He said, you are born again because Jesus made you alive. You want an illustration? Go to Lazarus, one of my favorite guys. Remember, Jesus went to the tomb. Lord, he's been dead for a long time. He's going to stink. Remove the stone. Would you have done it? I think the drama increased, like, wait, now? Move it. And then he calls out Lazarus, come forth. The Bible, we believe that if he had just said, come forth, everyone in the gravesite would have come forth. But he called you by name. Lazarus, come forth. That is a type of how you're saved. And in and, and our pride, well, no, I had a big part of this. Well, God said, Mike, come forth. So here's the deal. We want this either or. Is God sovereign and he just does it by his will? Or am I responsible and I have to do something? The answer is yes. <laughs> Both ends. In our Western mind, we want either or. We want uh, to have this box and put a lid on it and put it in the shelf. Okay, everything's nice and tidy, and, and yet this doctrine doesn't fit that way. And, and so we go, wait, wait, that we need this art of non-closure is what the Jews would call it. They don't have to know. They say, yep, God is sovereign and I'm responsible. Other people call it thinking with both hands. Well, on one hand, God is sovereign. On the other hand, you're responsible. If you want a scripture for it, it's 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of the Lord stands having this seal, and he describes a twofold seal. Number one, the Lord knows those who are his. Sovereignty. I'm not concerned about his part. His ways are perfect. His ways are beyond finding out. Number two, so his, he knows those who are his. Number two, those who name the name of Christ, you claim to be a Christian, depart from iniquity. He doesn't do that for me. I must do it. So yes, God is sovereign. And yes, I'm responsible. And yes, I'm going to love getting to heaven. Chuck Smith would always say, on the outside of heaven, there's this thing that says, enter in, whosoever will. And you go in and you look on the other side, it goes, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I'm in. I'm in. The art of non-closure. So again, here in uh, John 1, it's by the will of God. John 3, 16, just two chapters later, 
whosoever believes. Okay? So, let's wrap this up. Grace upon grace. The Word of God became flesh. The Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. We, <laughs> somebody's excited. We beheld His glory. How was that? Mount of Transfiguration? Remember Peter, James, and John went up there with Jesus and all of a sudden he, what? We beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Notice this, full, full of grace and truth. John, John the Baptist, bore witness of him and cried out saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, and he was before me. And of his fullness, we've all received. Grace for grace. Think of another saying, sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. Grace upon grace upon grace. The same idea. For the law was given through Moses. All 613 rules. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Okay, our last, last uh, segment here. Grace upon grace. The Word, or the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. So here he tabernacled, right? First he was eternal, part of the Trinity, deity, creator. Now he's Emmanuel. He tabernacled. In the Old Testament, Moses built a tabernacle. That's where he met God. Remember, and if the cloud came by, by day or the fire came at night, oh, God wants to meet up, and he'd go out there because that's where God was tabernacled in the same idea, Jesus is God tabernacled, God with men, Emmanuel. It's radical. Now, we've received his fullness. I'm going to ask you something real quick. Get ready. I love this saying, all believers have eternal life. If I truly believe in Christ, I'm heaven bound. But not all believers have abundant life. They're not all enjoying it. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief, the only reason he's here to rob, kill, and destroy, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's his purpose for you today. Now, of his fullness, we've all received. What does that mean? How about this? I want you to call out answers. This is either going to work or die, Okay? But if we're going to go out, let's go out with a blaze of glory. I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. I want you to know him in his fullness. I want you to know his grace for grace. So this morning, I'm going to do the first one. I, want to, I have Jesus of forgiveness. I have Jesus of favor. I have Jesus of grace. Anybody want to fill one in? I have Jesus of? Don't use, that was so soft. Your husband didn't hear you. He said you weren't next to you. Or did you say, no, I don't want to say. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Stanford, what was it? Jesus of power. Power. I like it. Okay, we have one. Joy. One. What is love? Joy. I like it. We were on a roll. I know you're new, but <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have come to this church. Okay. Anybody else? What do you have? Hojo. 
What? Life. What did I hear? Strength. Truth. Power. Creation. What else? Healing. Mercy. Okay, you know what? You guys know Jesus. That's the important. If everybody's dead, I'm going, let's go home. This is embarrassing. But we're talking about, no, I want you to know that Jesus, like, I know him. And I, I met him years ago. But he's still alive. He's still well. I met him this morning. He gave me new beginnings because I needed them. He gave me new mercies, new forgiveness because I needed it. When I go to the mirror and I see uh, junk in my teeth, I know I need to brush my teeth. When I go to Jesus, I know I need forgiveness. I know I need to receive. And that's what we're talking about. I have the abundant life. The Old Covenant, you have a choice. Old Covenant, you want to establish your own righteousness with God? Good luck. 613 laws. If you fulfill all of them, which you can't, you'll be in. The law was just given as a tutor, a, a schoolmaster, show, showing, Mike, you cannot do it. Mike, you failed. Mike, you need Jesus. So that's the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. We're still, I'm a sinner. But Jesus fulfilled the law. And when Jesus comes into my heart, the law is fulfilled in my life. And so now I'm going to heaven, not because of me, but because of him. And so it's grace for grace. His grace never runs out. I, I was thinking of this. How many here this morning, and I don't want to show of hands, how many here are going, I think I wore out God. <laughs> I think I did it once too many. No, you did it a thousand times. No, I think I really blew it this time. I, I think, you know what he's saying? Get out of here. That's not the idea here. Grace upon grace upon. You don't wear out the grace of God. That's the idea. It's grace upon grace. In closing, John had a background. He had a beginning with Jesus. He was mending nets. He's thinking back on that time. Now I'm mending souls. I was Captain Hawkhead, Mr. Rage, Mr. Judgmental. And now my message is, children, love one another. It's a great message. Do you have a beginning with him? Do you know the reason I ask? I have asked people this question before. And usually, one of you, you know, right away, you're there. You're tracking with me. You go, oh, yeah, this is how I met Christ. This is my beginning. You know, there are some people that go, well, I, and it gets super awkward. You realize right away, they have no idea what I'm talking about. You just started talking about going to church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this relationship where, no, I met Jesus. I had a beginning with Jesus when he called me out. He said, you, follow me. That's your beginning with Christ. Now, maybe you've forgotten about that. See, I have this gift of zoning out. Anybody have a spacing out? I'm really good at it. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant for zoning out. Now, I just, you might go, oh, look, Mike, he's thinking. He's, no, no, he's spacing out. He's spacing in the back, just zoning out. I've done it my whole life. And so on our TV, we have this thing where if you hit pause 
After a while, it goes to my wife's iPhone and shows the 20,000 pictures on her iPhone. And it's amazing because I'm going, ah, look at that. There's our puppy. It was just three years ago, now it's full grown. Ah, there we are on vacation. Ah, there we are, Easter sunrise. And it's like, oh, all these things remind me of things I had forgotten about. Well, this morning, Jesus is saying, I want to remind you that you had a beginning with me and have you strayed from that. So in Revelation chapter 2, you know the story. Church of Ephesus, you guys have drifted, man. Oh, you can set up a church and start a Sunday school, women's ministry, men's ministry. Oh, yeah, you got it down. But there's no love. Either get back to love or I'm gone. And he says, I want you to remember. Remember from where you've fallen. It's like there's a point where you go, yeah, I remember getting called by Jesus. I, I remember following him. I remember devouring his word and fellowship and, and, and music. Oh my goodness, the worship was insane. But then he, I got some competition along the way and remember, go back to where he first called you to your beginning and fulfill that. Here's the good news. You can't wear out grace. And I love this saying, Jesus can take a mess and make it into a masterpiece.